Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Rev. Paul John Roach. So, hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. Yes, I'm your host, Paul John Roach, and I'm coming to you from Fort Worth, Texas. And as we go live today, it's the beginning of Ramadan for Muslims. It's also the Spring Navaratri Festival, the Nine Nights of the Goddess in, in Hinduism. And, of course, it's also fully springtime now, and everything is burgeoning, and nature is in her full splendor, uh, and that's beautiful. So to, joining me today is musician, counselor, coach, uh, worship, worship, I was going to say worship facilitator, workshop facilitator. That's the minister in me. I go back straight to the old, to the words. Um, his name's Charles Gaby. He's he spent more than 25 years in private practice and consultancy. Uh, he served as president of the Tompkins Institute and also lead trainer uh, for the Institute for Restorative Communities. Um, he's also the uh, co-founder of Sync Yoga and Wellbeing, and his radio show Roots of Change is available online. And he's, uh, he also has a web-based community called My Leap Year. I love that. Time to leap, isn't it, into something new? Um, in addition to all that, he's written a book, and it's called Choosing to Evolve. I love that title. Uh, Uses Guide to Waking Up, and that's the subject of our discussion today. So it's a pleasure to welcome Charles Gaby to today's show. Welcome, Charles. Thank you, Paul, and thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. I, I, it's a lovely read. I enjoyed it. It's quite psychological. Uh, so that that might be a, a, a attractive to many who are looking at the um, the nature of the mind and the, the spirit mind body connection, um, and and it presents the uh, the problem right, and then and then uh, stabs at a few solutions, and uh, so you you always need a problem first, I guess, and the, and the problem in the sense is that we are we are in some way stuck right we're, we're in the trances or habits or patterns uh, or a dream in, in a way um, and uh, you talk about this in terms of um, images and patterns habituation uh, stuff like that so it, it, they're not necessarily just problems right it, it's a way we've learned to negotiate our life i suppose but it, it's got inbuilt limitations to it right Yes, uh, I think you've captured a lot there, um, especially from the, the start of the book. I talk a lot about the 
evolution of humans um, uh, consciousness as it involves really intense capacity for imagery um, and by imagery what I'm saying is uh, right now if I say to you um, I'm holding a, a glass of water uh, you know what I'm talking about because you have stored imagery of that same thing and so I can say glass of water and it's as if you almost have a little picture but more than a picture it's, it's almost a gestalt that you have around a glass of water your image and gestalt for that glass of water may be really different from mine but we can communicate with it in a sense of generality but human beings have evolved to have these images and the images become a part of our habituated experience of life so for instance right now i'm i'm sitting looking at some trees and each of those trees is different each one of those trees i could describe to you in detail but you already have images that you fill in uh, that come from your own library and experience and habituated experience of life uh, you know from a spiritual perspective habituation is a bit of a problem because the fact that we can habituate to particular ways of seeing life and seeing ourselves because you have an image of yourself just as you have images of water and trees those images as they become habituated <clears throat> begin to lose their capacity to stir any sense of not knowing not having answers of opening to mystery and so every every habituated image in our minds that goes unquestioned is a way to kind of become numb to life and we don't I'll, even I'll we to... don't really see the tree too either do we it's sort of we see the image of the tree oh. but not the tree itself right not the thing itself right you know matthew fox who was one of my favorite teachers who wrote the book original blessing once said to be a mystic is the opposite of taking things for granted and there's something about our capacity to question the imagery that we've received from our culture our family from our own life experiences and to open ourselves up to seeing more seeing more deeply not taking for granted the people who we also have an image of that we tend to think is the whole of their being but to enter into those relationships with a sense of the mystery of those who we encounter right and it's counter counterintuitive to a lot of the systems that purport to lead us into uh you know a greater awareness for instance religion does this and you mentioned that in the book i can't remember the exact quote but uh you know re religion uh, as a system right uh helps us not see the, the this wonder this joy because it has a ready-made set of um habitual patterning you know that that we're supposed to um, take on almost like we're brainwashed into it and and so we can't see uh you know spirit i guess that's why some people say well i'm spiritual but i'm not religious right because they're trying to get back to that moment of yeah. opening opening again right 
Right. You know, Carl Jung said religion is the best defense against a religious experience. Yeah, that's the quote I was thinking of. I mean, that's yeah. kind of it's kind of funny, but it's also sad, isn't it? Well, you know, I think you can you can take what um, I'm talking about in the book as uh, a challenge. You know, like you said, there's a problem. Right. Um, the human consciousness evolved in this way, and it gives us a lot of advantages. I don't want to have to, you know, really rethink every moment with a glass of water. Uh, I, I want to be able to remember when I go to pick it up, what kind of, you know, how how hot or cold it is or or how heavy it is so I don't throw it over my head, you know. Right. The imagery helps us be able to automate a lot of our lives, and it does then give us a capacity to give attention to other things. But in Absolutely. the short run, yeah, in the short run, that helps. But in the long run, when it comes to things that are more the, the beautiful things of life, like uh, intimate relationships, uh, like the art that we are capable of creating, um, those almost always involve us being able to look past the images that we have put in place to be able to see what's really going on and what's happening now. You know, I was watching a documentary of Frank Zappa about Frank Zappa the other night, and um, talk about a driven man. You know, I didn't realize that he was basically writing music nonstop all of his life, and um, and it was always seeking, a, you know, a kind of perfection. He he heard the sound in his head, but he wanted to get it out there um, in sound, and was driven to do that. Um, but what what was remarkable was that he. Um, you know, was discovering it anew for himself. And I think this is true of all great um, artists or, or musicians or writers or thinkers or whatever, or, or carpenters or whatever. They're, they're able to do it, you know, with, with that passion and that focus as if it's the first time it's ever been done, right? And, and this is what we're being called to do in our, in our everyday lives too, right? Maybe not in such a dramatic way, but, but to, to see things afresh, right? To... To have a direct experience uh, of something. By the way, I, I don't know if you agree with me, but you know they say that the fall of man came because um, you know, the Adam made the apple. But I don't think that's true. I think if you study the Bible closely enough, the, the real problem was when uh, God gave Adam the ability to name things, right? And so he gave a name to everything. <laughs> and, and because he named uh. everything, he no longer saw the thing, right? It was He had a name for it. And again, this is the limitation of language, a bit like what you're talking about in images, right? We, uh, language is wonderful. We're communicating with it right now. But, but it also uh, forces us to think in a certain pattern in our heads, right, in alignment with the language that we're using. And so uh, we're missing a yeah. lot by not having that nonverbal um, ability like children are, you know, pre-language um, children babies or whatever, uh, have a whole different worldview, right? It's not limited to language. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you that that is a huge part of how imagery uh, is retained for us. And so um, the pictures in your mind have words to them. And uh, if you want to have a really uh, interesting day, spend your day taking labels off of everything. 
Yeah, and get to know get to know the things in your life, that, and 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 maybe even change their names if you have to have a, a, a label. Right. Um, but it's that's an interesting way to kind of challenge your tendency to take for granted. Well, you had a uh, and taking uh, for granted really really taking for granted is kind of at the core of human development. You had an exercise in your book, as I remember, that. Uh, invited us to have a dinner party, right? But without words, only with gestures and, um, mm-hmm. and grunts maybe, but no, no words. And no words. See, see how you could uh, conduct that whole evening that way. And, and I mm-hmm. think it would be both delightful and irritating at the same time, right? It, and some people probably would refuse to play along, you know, that, that they'd find it silly, you know, this is silly. Right. But, but, uh, people, I think, people refuse. People refuse my exercises all the time. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. Well, that proves they're probably good exercises. <laughs> yeah. I thought that so, was an interesting uh, one, though. You know. Yeah. Sure. You know, one of the things that uh, really cracked some things open for me in my own life, and and also with the clients I have worked with for the last twenty years. Was as I began to um, struggle with the how, what does it take to help people and help myself change patterns? Because the habituated way that we're talking about, that's a part of human consciousness, is is you know it's all inclusive. Everything we do, what we're doing right now, how we're interacting with each other, right, is a part of it. A habituated pattern for how you have a conversation and to begin to open to doing the those things in some different way which most people don't even begin to think about until a pattern that they have a, a, a script is what I'd call it uh, begins to cause them some problems um, as we all know, we, we adopt scripts from the time we're young to deal with certain things. And it, it may work just fine, but we get to a place in life where that very script that we adopted becomes our limitation at moving forward or, or further in our lives. And so as I was struggling with how to address that, I was um, introduced to an understanding of human motivation and the majority of my book is really about that. It's about the, the way that we are not only habituated to ways of thinking and speaking and acting, but at the core of all of it, we are habituated in our patterns of emotional expression. And that actually plays a much bigger part than all the rest. Right. And you talk a lot about it, as you say in the book, you know, in terms of the the affects we have and the scripted emotions around those affects and and the work, as we mentioned in the introduction of, of pumpkins, right, which you found to be quite, quite fascinating and insightful. One thing before we jump into that, I, I want to say is that sometimes we we have this urge to break patterns um, and, and we go to other extremes, right? So we throw out the baby with sure. the bathwater, right? Um, so so we, I know I did that as a child, um, rebelled against my religious upbringing, you know, and um, and became an atheist, you know, uh, and only later did I, did I see, well, maybe that was another extreme, another script, and um, I, I could understand uh, my religion in a different way, right, I could deepen it in, a, in another kind of way. 
And it's always funny to me, I went to India when I was in my 20s, and of course it was the time of a lot of hippies, and, and a the, the lot of the hippies were the most conventional people because they all looked like each other and, uh, you know, <laughs> ha had the same attitudes and this, that, that. So they, they just found another script, basically, you know. Instead of being really, fr I'm, not, I'm not putting down hippies here, I know I'm very generalizing, mm. but, but I'm just saying that it, it's so often we can, let's not put it out on somebody else so often we can we can take on another script that's just as limiting or um you know i mean yet we think we're free right because we've left the uh, the previous script so the the human sure. tendency to take on new scripts is you know is, is unfortunate but that's the way it is yeah you know i've, I've seen a lot of this uh, i have owned two yoga studios, developed two two different yoga communities in Dallas over the years, and right. uh, in the process of that, you know, I've encountered a lot of of uh, the kind of spiritual um, community you're talking about as uh, kind of alternative to the religious mainstream. Right. Exactly. People hunting, searching for uh, uh, something that's more of a, an experience and and I have to say, in many cases, I have found just amazing, beautiful communities of people supporting and loving each other and finding um, powerful experiences in their encounters. But I've also been uh, uh, turned off at times by the guru uh, kind of mentality that, that pervades sometimes in, in that. And, and not, not that there aren't people with... Um, experiences that should be teaching for sure but there's a kind of ideal that becomes a kind of I don't have any problems everything's always beautiful yeah. kind of uh, mentality that um, that is not particularly free and expressive of the, the truths of, of existence and um, I, I see sometimes people adopting a spiritual stance that is really the same avoidance scripts of their own negative feelings right. that they had before. It just gave them another place to do it. Well, you know, uh, the, there's a phrase that used to go around. I'm sure it still does. You know, it's all good, right? Um, and uh, right. In, a sen in a sense, it's true. You know, ultimately, it's all good. Uh, we're in divine order in our universe. But in the meantime, you know, there's terrible suffering and pain and we're, we're dying and we're, all kinds of things are happening. And I, I love it because Bob Dylan, the great iconoclast, you know, came up with a song called It's All Good, which sort of yeah. looked at the, uh, the whole concept, you know, yeah, yeah, sure, it's all good. You know, where somebody's in terrible anguish and pain, you know, don't, please don't call it all good. Um, this, mm. it, that's one of the conundrums of life, isn't it, that we... we um, we can see that there's this freedom and wholeness um, inherently, and yet, yet we're still, in some ways, you know, stuck in in this dream or this, uh, you know, we might call it samsara or maya or whatever, the illusion of life. You know. Yes, and my um, my experience of being un in situations where I've been unable to express things like fear or distress or anger. I have not found myself in a place where I feel more whole. Wholeness tends to come for me from being able to find my way through those feelings in a way that helps me be 
uh, able to grow and to change and to discover new things. Um, and there's a tendency, I think, in, in some of those spiritual communities that I mentioned, for there to be a sense that if you have those kind of feelings, then you're not enlightened. Right, exactly. Which is the opposite of what true, you know, spirituality is about, which is, like you said, you know, the embracing of these things, the understanding of them, right? It's not, it's not terrible you have these various affects. It, it's, it's when you're unconscious of them, you know, you're a slave to them. But when you can begin to look at them and understand where they are and why they came, you know, then... And in a sense, you're free of them, right? Because you have insight into them. You know, there's, a, there's a mindful awareness. And you talk about that. I love the phrase, moving alongside, right? Um, yeah. not, not totally involved, but not, not um, ignoring either, but moving alongside. I, I, I like that phrase in terms of our willingness to, to travel together with, with, the, with the, all, the all of life, you know, the ups and downs. I worked with a whole whole bunch of people, Paul, that, that struggled with intensity of some affects. Right. And by affects, what we're talking about is, is the precursor. Um, that's the every baby has these particular almost reflex responses that become our emotions. And so and I've, I've worked with so many people who had difficulty um, with anger or fear or distress or shame, as um, they would begin to flood when they felt those things. And one of the most important tools I have found being able to move from that state of overwhelm, and if anyone's listening today who has that kind of overwhelming experience, one of the most powerful things that you can begin to do is, first of all, don't believe everything you think, because... You know, our, our emotions definitely bias our thinking. And so when I'm overwhelmed with fear or distress or anger or shame, one of those not-so-fun emotions, I will, I will have it come out in my thinking. I mean, my thinking will be affected by it. And not believing everything you think is helpful. But then the, the next thing to do is to begin to become curious about what you're feeling. Because most of the time, we don't even know. We don't even acknowledge that we're feeling those things. We've learned to hide them so well, we hide them from ourselves. But the very act of becoming curious about the feeling that you're having is a shift of consciousness. And that's a powerful place to be, it seems to me. Yeah, if I can become interested in what I'm feeling, I'm now Mm -hmm. feeling interest Mm -hmm. as much as I'm feeling the other. And to feel interest is the closest thing I know to love. We talk about wanting to live out of love. I know, um, you know, I've certainly studied some of the things that are often taught on Unity um, channels, um, things about the Course in Miracles and and ways of living in love. And part of the way that I've, I've been able to interpret that to an experiential thing rather than a dogmatic idea is that if I were going to replace the word love with another word, I would replace it with interest. Right. Because, you know, you can, you can say you love someone, 
But if you don't show interest, if you don't have interest in them, they're not going to feel love. But I can go up to any child and and be interested in them, and whether I say I love you or not, they're going to feel love. And the same thing's true as how we relate to ourselves. You know, if I if I show interest in myself, interest in my responses, interest in how I have suddenly had a feeling that emerged from what seemed like nothing. Uh, that curiosity is my self-love. It's my capacity to pay attention to what's going on inside of me and to follow it, to see where it leads. I like the word interest because sometimes, you know, the words that are used to, you know, follow your bliss, um, it's been the phrase that's been used a lot, or the, your passion or whatever. Uh, and sometimes that can seem a little too intense, perhaps, you know, but an interest allows us to be um, slightly tentative. I don't mean tentative in a bad way, but pro, you know, um, open to skepticism as well, right? We're not just throwing ourselves headlong into something. We're, we're still uh, watching, but, but we, we're like you said, curious, and I kind of like that approach to, you know, rather than just jumping off the deep end. That might not be the, the wisest thing sometimes. Right. It's, you know, it's really hard to see some of the scripts that we have around our emotions. We, we all know we have them, you know. Yeah. We all know that some of us are taught big boys don't cry and others aren't, you know. Right. Um, we don't tend to see how that impacts us over time. You know, to have a dam in our hearts over the expression of one of these emotions uh, really impedes us in our intimacy. It really impedes us in our personal growth and our spiritual growth. And to, to be able to have the capacity to pause and, and say, I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to become curious of what's motivating me right now emotionally. And after the break, maybe I'll, I'll talk a little bit about uh, Tompkins' observations, which have given me a really nice capacity to help people see um, more quickly what they may be blocking up. And as Rumi, you know, Rumi said, don't seek after love. Uh, seek out the barriers in your own heart that you've built against it. Yes. And Absolutely. to find those barriers, I think finding ways to look at where did I pick up these scripts and how might I be become more open to all of the things that pass through me. Absolutely. We're at the break, folks. I'm with Carl Gaby. We're going to come back after these messages from Unity, discuss more of his book, Choosing to Evolve. Join us in a few minutes. Discover the power within Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. All right, welcome back to today's show. I'm with Charles Gaby. We're talking about his book, Choosing to evolve. It was five long years in the making. 
and really a lifetime, because if we know anything about books, there's the wisdom of all our maturation in, in, in books. And so uh, there is a lot of information in this book. It's called A User's Guide to Waking Up. Um, Charles is particularly interested in, in the work of Tompkins and, and uh, affects and, and scripted emotions, etc. And there's a lot of detail in the book. As we are saying in the break, though, you know, some of the original texts are quite erudite and, and difficult to get your head around for, for a lay person. But uh, the way that Charles has laid this out, it, it's a very approachable book in, in that way. And um, it gave me a lot of information that I hadn't really come across before. Um, but there were, there were some things uh, that really fascinated me. And I, and I, I know you want to talk more about the affect, but I want to make sure we cover these. The first one was moving alongside because, you know, there's that moving towards something. When you've got a problem or a problematic person, we, sometimes we move toward them trying to please or whatever. Sometimes we move away, you know, we withdraw uh, because it's, it's hurtful. And sometimes we move against in the sense they become an enemy to us. But the fourth um, is moving alongside, which, which is a much more creative approach. And the other word that you use a lot in the book, Charles, is uh, meek. Um, and again, yeah. this is a word that's misinterpreted a lot. You know, people think meek. It's, it's like the word surrender. I, I'm, you know, I'm an American. I don't surrender. And likewise, I'm, I don't want to be meek. But uh, meek in the true sense of the word, and Jesus used it, of course, um, is, is a very powerful thing, isn't it? Do you want to talk a little bit about what, what you feel meekness is? Sure. Um, can, let me back up just for a second, though, and, and address what you uh, were saying about the move alongside. Because yeah, okay. I want to attribute uh, some of that to Karen Horney, who is a contemporary of Freud. Um, she believed that all children develop uh, ways of dealing with things, dealing with conflict, uh, interactions, um, and that there were three basic childhood scripts or strategies, as she called them. And so imagine you grew up in a family where, um, you know, it's possible that you can please your parents and things go well and uh, please your siblings and, and there's a way to move forward without uh, and, and you take on responsibility for resolving the conflicts by pleasing. Right. And that can be a really uh, great way to go. It's very harmonious, peaceful, but it can take a toll on us. And as a, uh, if that's the only way we deal with conflict, you know, you can kind of end up in a somewhat codependent way of living. You know, the, you know, the joke about codependency you're, you're about to die and someone else's life flashes in front of your eyes. <laughs> so, you, you know, you, you can have one of, one of these three scripts and they, and the best thing is to have the capacity to move between them. Uh, sometimes we grow up in families that move against and it's, it's like, Hey, that's my piece of chicken, you know, um, or, uh, that tend to move away. A lot of us learn to deal with conflict by just avoiding it, moving away. To me, the spiritual path is more about, um, and more more enlightenment seems to come from not not using. I mean, certainly we we need the capacity to use all three of those strategies. But the fourth strategy that I wanted to add to the mix is the idea of moving alongside. I'm not 
I'm not joining with you particularly yet. I'm not um, attacking you. I'm just going to walk down the road with you a little ways um, and see where this leads, you know, see what we're learning here. I'm going to learn something about me. I'm going to learn something about you. To move alongside in the midst of conflict usually means to begin to ask questions. And if I were going to define what meekness is, it would be that. It's in some ways about being able to not have to immediately defend ourselves, but to remain open and somewhat vulnerable in the midst of some difference or interaction. Yeah, I like that, which is comes back to the word interest again. You know, I'm I'm interested enough to to be present without making my mind up or judging or being fearful or whatever. Just just be be here op- open, if you like, certain openness, yeah. right? Um, which, which is That's vulnerable. Not to say that, sure. Yeah, go ahead. Not to say that there's not a place for moving away and moving against or moving toward. I think. Sometimes moving away is important because you can find yourself caught up in conflicts that other people have that will waste your life being able to go, okay, no, I'm not going to invest myself here. I'm going to walk away. That's really important to the spiritual life too. But I have found that most of the learning um, for me and for others that I meet has usually come from being able to experience some of the truth of what's going on inside of themselves and that in other people, um, which is much more about moving along and and being curious. Yeah, all hallmarks, I think, of um, spiritual maturity, you know. Um, just... The, I think that's the idea behind turning the other cheek as well. It's not it's not being passive or allowing somebody to to hurt us. It's it's a it's it's a, an awareness that there's nothing to be hurt really. You know, I, I am who I am in truth is is free, and so I don't have to take a stand here in that sense. You know, where one is a winner, the other's a loser. It's not about that, right? We move to another another level altogether. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a feeling that I get sometimes that um, the only way that we've learned in our culture to deal with conflict is uh, defensively and aggressively. And part of meekness is also about learning to be able to shift from the aggressive, defensive posturing. It's like the NFL, you know, lining up their linebackers and tackles and just going at it. Um, but instead, to learn the skills of assertiveness, uh, assertiveness is actually much stronger than aggression. Um, when someone becomes aggressive, it's like they're telegraphing their desperation. I have to have it my way. Um, and if I, if I shift to something that's more assertive, it's, it's a simple statement. This is what I would prefer. This is what I want. And and those statements can escalate to a place of saying, you know, um, this is what I need. This is not what's happening right now. So if if we can't come to some agreement on this, then I'm going to have to find somewhere else to get my need met. 
But nowhere in there is there a need to attack the other person or to right. make them responsible for my own needs. Yeah, I think the, the experiment of Greta Thunberg is interesting because she seems to be exhibiting this, this quality of assertiveness that you're talking about. And she refuses to get aggressive about it, right? It's it's not about demanding change because she knows that the politicians probably aren't going to do anything. But she wants to alert them to the fact that, you know, if they persist in not doing anything, you know, there are consequences. And I've, I've seen her go over the edge sometimes, you know, where she gets aggressive. But generally, I think it's remarkable for one so young that she's she's able to exhibit some of the some of these non-defensive ways of approach, right? Which is why we're fascinated with her, I think. You know, so much of the defensiveness that happens for us comes out of our need to avoid our own feelings. Yes. Uh, and a lot of aggression comes from that as well. Um, you know, it's hard for me to kind of mash together a number of things about what I found in Tompkins' work, but uh, if, if the simplest way to say it is this, uh, you know, there's, a, there's dozens and dozens of different theories about human emotion that you can attach to and, and begin to think of your emotions through their lenses. Um, what Tompkins did was actually look at what's innate and what's not, and what are you born with and what are you not. And he used high-speed photography to look at the faces of babies and on those baby faces, those pictures, he was able to distinguish only nine different emotional states. And what I love about his theory is as you begin to um, see these nine basic rudimentary emotions, uh, you can begin to understand how they play such an important, powerful role and your choices and your thoughts, every moment of the day, everything you say, everything you do, has one or sometimes more of these basic affects that are motivating the way you're doing what you're doing and what you're thinking. So like right now, I mean, if you, if you just pause for a second and think, what, what am I feeling? What's, what's guiding my thoughts right now? Uh, if you know, something I have said has been offensive, then, then that may be a, a, a sense of distress or frustration or anger that is guiding now what you're thinking. Uh, if what we're saying has some interesting something to it, then interest is one of the ones. Uh, Tompkins found there were two, only two of these um, innate aspects that we have that, that felt good. Uh, one is interest, the other is enjoyment. And they, they are on a range of experience. You go from interest up to, you know, high interest, excitement. Or you go from enjoyment to great joy. But those were the only two that he found that we were, um, that were on the faces of babies. And then there's a neutral one, which is basically startle. goes by too fast to feel good or bad. Basically kind of serves as a reset and then six different ways to feel negatively, all of which were evolving, we think, in humans in order for us to be protected from certain things. So you have distress, babies cry. You have 
anger, which is usually what babies do when they don't have whatever they were crying about doesn't get dealt with. And then you have uh, fear, and that fear uh, usually has to do with something that's much more rapidly stimulating than the other two. And then you have shame, humiliation, or embarrassment. It's like you don't have to teach a baby how to cry, but you don't have to teach a baby how to blush either. It's a natural response built into our bodies. And then the last two are really things that you see when you're uh, trying to feed a baby. It's, uh, he coined the word dismell, and, and then the other is disgust. Dismell is rejecting something before you even sample it. Usually it's based on smell. And disgust is rejecting after sampling. We've all watched our babies do both of those. And so if you begin to recognize that we are habituated human beings and that we are not just habituated in our thinking but also in our feeling, then you've got a way to understand some things that are going on in our world that's much more powerful. You know, if you want to address racism, if you want to address racism in America or in the world, it really helps to understand how the experience of dismell, which is rejection without sampling, without tasting, can be easily imprinted into children when they're young over not just certain foods, but certain peoples. And one of the reasons racism is so hard to address in our world is that once you have that sense of rejection without sampling, combined with a particular group of people, it's really hard for someone to then have any sample or experience of those people in order to develop a different kind of appreciation. These are the kinds of things that... Um, having a, a basic understanding of the biology behind our emotions has given me some capacity to see some things differently and see why some things get so stuck. Right, exactly. Now, it reminds me of the, the six realms of existence in uh, Tibetan Buddhism, you know, which, which goes from the, the animal through the, the hungry ghosts up through human beings to, to the angels or the, the, even to the gods, you know. And, and their levels of consciousness, really, and, and the ways that each level approaches things, you know, it's just, just a little way of showing the same thing, I think. But in, in Tibetan Buddhism, this is my question, in Tibetan Buddhism, then it goes on to describe, you know, the qualities of uh, bodhicitta or sort of an enlightened consciousness, um, stuff that we might find in the New Testament, too, you know, the fruits of the spirit or the qualities that uh, that Jesus alluded to, right? Um, compassion, generosity, um, meekness, which you mentioned earlier. Um, so, is there is there a room in in uh, Tonkin's um, you know structure uh, uh, approach that that allows for these other uh, I, I might call them higher emotions or higher qualities of of consciousness because. I, I think the effects make perfect sense at, at a certain level, but then there's, there's other qualities that we might dis discuss, you know, like generosity or compassion, uh, wisdom minds, you know, that, that are 
that are not tribal, you know, that are not dealing with with these uh, the, these affects. I don't think you'll find any of that, particularly in Tompkins. He was really just a researcher looking at human emotion. But right. in my my book, I think you'll find some of that, mainly because I'm going to approach all of this with a sense of my own uh, spiritual curiosity. But um, let me throw one way in which. Uh, understanding more about the core of our human emotional dynamics has helped me with that. Um, you could say that generosity, for instance, is uh, when you say generosity, when I say generosity, these are two different images that we have. Right. But at the core of human motivation for generosity, there could also be a whole bunch of different experiences people are having. Why am I being generous? Am I being generous because it's going to come back to me in some positive way? Is that the same as someone who is following more of like the Native American uh, path of, of there's a sense that all that we have uh, that we offer is that's it it's it's that you give it away and you don't expect anything back um what motivates people to be generous is it their abundance or is it their capacity to empathize with other people's suffering how we understand generosity we can gain a lot from looking at what it is that's emotional about the motivation to give. And I know often for me, you know, my generosity is often motivated by having some exposure to someone in suffering. Right. And it's and the I empathic think, yeah, connection. Yeah. And there's levels and levels of this, right? The, you know, we can have a very basic understanding of, Generosity, it might be enlightened self-interest. You know, we want to give because we hope to get back. Right? But that, you know, there's deeper levels of, of just pure empathy and and uh, understanding that we're we're essentially one, right? That we are all connected, and so there's that welling up of, yeah. of beauty, of the connected beauty within us. That's so. Yeah, yeah. I wrote a I wrote a song a while back about I was sitting under. Um, the pecan tree that I'm sitting under right now, I have a beautiful old pecan tree. And, uh, and it was a beautiful fall morning, I remember, and I was sitting on a little chair underneath it and I kept getting bombed with pecan pieces because there was a squirrel yeah. up right above me just picking that tree clean. And it really started irritating me. I mean, I was so irritated about it. He was eating <laughs> all my pecans. Right. And then, you know, uh, along comes a crow, and the crow starts doing the same thing. He's picking his pecans. And now I'm getting double bombarded by these, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think at that point I kind of flashed on Rene Girard and, you know, the source of, of a lot of the fighting in the world being a competition for the same resources and, and the modeling of all of that conflict. And so I took a few breaths and began to relax. And then suddenly I began to recognize how generous the tree was. The tree was really just offering up its gifts to any and all who came. And I began to shift in my uh, 
sense of the, the you know the, the crow and the squirrel, and even began to see them as offering bits of pecans to me. You know, uh, we're all beggars at the same old tree. <laughs> yeah, there we go. But the beauty is that the tree or the universe or whatever is endlessly giving, right? Endlessly um, being generous uh, and, and allowing or, you know, just um, in a profligate way, right? Uh, as Jesus said, you know, God sends the sun and the rain on, on good and bad alike, yeah? Hmm. Yeah, there's a shift that can happen. I felt it that morning, that sense of um, gratitude for what's here. I love when Meister Eckhart said, uh, if the only prayer you ever pray is thank you, that's, that's enough. You know, there's Amen. something that shifts in us. And really, you know, if you look at the stuff that I've written in this book, um, I do explore each of the different affects and I, I look at, you know, um, the positive and the negative equally because it's all a part of who we are. But, if you want to have a really beautiful experience of life, questioning your habituated imagery, um, moving alongside, but also finding ways to in increase the amount of your life that you're spending feeling excited and enjoying um, and reducing through action or contemplation the things that trigger the negative aspects, but not to ignore them. I mean, they're there for a reason, but to begin to be able to shift them is helpful. Right. And if there's one thing I know that helps lead to more positive affect, it's gratitude. It's actually been studied. And uh, if, if you look at Seligman's work on positive psychology, a lot of their work is about how to increase positive feelings, not deal with negative feelings. And he'll say, um, they've done experiments with having people write thank you letters to someone uh, in their life and then taking the letter and giving it to that person uh, and having them read it over coffee or something and being able to express gratitude. Well, uh, Brother David Stindlerath said it's not joyful people who are grateful. It's grateful people who are joyful. Right. I, l I love the quote that you have in uh, in the book from uh, Peter Mayer, you know, the, s the singer-songwriter about everything right. is holy now. We've sung it many times in our church over the years. Um, but it's it's what we're talking about, right? E everything becomes crisp for the mill. Everything is imbued. Even the really sucky, awful things, you know, we see as they were also blessings as well. They just came in a, in a strange disguise, but but they were actually there to, um, you know, awaken us to, to the wonder of things. And so to be grateful for, for everything. One thing I do want to do, I want to read a paragraph before we finish, because I don't want to miss it, because I, I loved it. Uh, it comes right at the end of the book, and it's called The Rise of the Meek. I can't read the whole page, but this first paragraph is powerful, I think. It says, the meek will inherit the earth, not dominate it into servitude. They will open their hearts and minds to others with curiosity, humility, and wisdom born from their awakening to the defining dynamics we have explored. The new meek will form charters, transform institutions, and resolve bloody conflicts. They will not cooperate or participate in the forms of 
communication that demonize and dehumanize others who have simply been exposed to different images and carry different identities. What, what a clarion call for shift, right? For change here. And I'm very apropos right now in our society, in our world, right? We, we see the opposite every day. We're still in a tribal society and, you know, the, the, we know it doesn't work. There's got to be a new way. And that is a, a beautiful uh, description of, of what's possible for, for humankind. Well, thank you, Paul. You know, I, I think I'm, I was trying to express something of the hope I have for the capacity for people to learn to move alongside with each other. And it's, if there's anything we need in this culture right now and the divided way that we live, it's the capacity to in, not avoid the conflicts, but to enter into those conflicts with a sense of moving alongside and curiosity I used to do a workshop and workshops. I would have somebody come up and I would say, uh, we're talking about conflict. I'd say, throw a punch at me slowly. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I didn't say slowly quite quick enough. And as they threw the punch at me, I would just block the punch. And that was the way I said most people would deal with conflict. But instead, I'd have them do it again, throw the punch. And then I would take their hand as they're punching and I would bring it toward me and open it and ask, What's what's this about? Where's this coming from? Hmm. You know, what are wow. what is it that I need to learn about me, or that I need to learn about you in this moment? Right. And if if we can just begin in the midst of all of this to immediately think, how do I ask a question right now? Without time, than, folks, we're going to have to say goodbye. Yeah. Next week, Tim Freaks coming all the way from Glastonbury in England to be with us great philosopher, writer, author, in the Watkins 100 Greatest Spiritual Leaders. But right now, we're going to say thank you to Charles Cavey. Thank you so much, Charles. Thank you, Paul, for having me on. Sorry we had to rush off there at the end, but what a great show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.